Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and thank you for coming to another episode of Why Do Pets Matter? I'm here with my good friend, Mary Gardner, DVM veterinarian. She is the co-founder of Lap of Love, along with Danny McVetty, another good friend of mine who I hope will come on Why Do Pets Matter? Because this is such an important topic. Do you know what their practice does? It is the only nationwide practice that is dedicated to the end of life care for both the pet owner and the pet. The transition is done as softly and as emotionally and empathetically um, aware as possible. Because as we all know, whether the dog is young or old, if they need to go over that rainbow bridge, the hardest thing you have to do is let them go. And so the lap of love has created a nationwide program of training veterinarians how to be empathetic, how to be strong when they need to be strong, how to be soft when they need to be soft, but quite frankly, how to help your animal be the most peacefully transitioned to that garden up in the sky with all the balls and all the toys and all the cookies they can eat without getting fat. So Mary, thank you so much for being here on Why Do Pets Matter? You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I, that's the place sounds good. Yeah. I can go eat. <laughs> eat cookies, chase balls, chew on toys, rip the stuffing. And when you wake up in the morning, the stuffing's back in. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, I'm sure that a lot of people who you've um, worked with still hear and smell and feel their pets. And I truly think, you know, I've had so many pets in my life that uh, I know every single one of them is still here. Oh, for sure. And, and um, it's almost like a phantom, phantom pet, you know, like, and, uh, and sometimes I wish I had that where, where I wish I had that smell again. And, and, you know, sometimes we, we, um, we can't stand the stinky dog smell or the hair all over the furniture, but when it's gone, you wish you had it back. Absolutely. So I always ask my guests first, first question out of the box. And really, you know, the only scripted question in the whole thing is why do pets matter to you, Mary? Hmm. So that's such a great question. It's a good scripted one too for you to have. Um, I, they are such a source of, of joy and calmness for me. I don't have children. I'm in my late forties and everybody thought I'd always want children. And I have my fur kids, um, but they, they are just so delicious to have around. Like, you know, they'll always bring a smile on your face. They'll always they care more about you probably than 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 they than I deserve <laughs> sometimes, right? And if I could, I probably would have five times the amount of pets that I have now. So they they matter on so many different levels. 
and uh, and they, you know they matter obviously for my for, for for work and business, but it's mostly for for my own selfish pleasure. They're awesome. You know, you're. I I couldn't have said it better because my selfish pleasure is to have um, two Irish setters. I've had as many as 24, so I'm a little crazy. Uh, But these two, without them, I think that, especially during this time of COVID, uh, it would have been a really difficult time to shelter at home without the clowns I live with. How about you? (laughs) For sure. Right. They bring us so much joy. And it is nice right now that there's so many people who are I'm going out and fostering and adopting right now because this is the best time to do it when you have the time to take care of them and and train them and get them used to the situation. And also for me, for for geriatric pets, which is my absolute love, is the old the oldies. Um, you know, this is our last few months maybe with them, and so it's so nice to not have regrets if I wish I had more time with them. I wasn't and, right. I yeah, just so went out last is- walk right. Right. Enjoy every single walk, every single hug, every single meal that you give and be blessed to know that you're that you're present because you're not going to get that time back. And we really are present so much more. And I think that's what I love about Lap of Love, because the veterinarians trained by you and Dr. Danny um, are really present with their clients at that time. So you also, I believe, and I might be wrong, but I don't think that you um, help in the transition as well. So if there's hospice, you're there for pain management, you're there for awareness, you're there to really sometimes have that tough conversation, Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully enable people to make that decision themselves. Yeah, I think with our hospice, we do a lot of palliative care, like you mentioned in pain management. It is a lot of of the tough conversation of when when to say goodbye and assessing quality of life because in human hospice, they don't have, uh, you know, euthanasia is not an option. And, so it's a very uh, uh, guilt-ridden decision sometimes for families to, to be the one to, to make that decision. And also sometimes they'll feel guilty um, because it's hard taking care of a geriatric or terminally ill pet. Like I've been there many times and I think I've become a much better end-of-life care vet dealing with it myself. Um, not just the euthanasia, but, but up to it where how hard it is all night panting and pacing or, you know, um, just not not able to to keep them calm and incontinence. I've had all of it, right? I've had all the issues, and uh, how hard it is on the caregiver. And and you know, Deborah, it's um, the the number one reason why people euthanize their pet is is because of quality of life for the pet. But the numbers the number two reason why they do is for caregiver burden, and because how hard it is. And uh, and they've sometimes will feel guilty about that. And I always tell people it's not. There's nothing to. It's hard. It is hard and it's physically challenging, emotionally challenging, um, sometimes financially challenging, but, um, but you know, we would, I would do it all over again for another 20 years if I could get some of them back. Right. But it doesn't mean I was enjoying waking up at 2am letting them out. (laughs) I I have to tell you that is, that is such an important piece to bring to the discussion because, you know, when they give you that look and you know, um, and it hasn't been exhausting, uh, it is hard. But if, in fact, you do have a long period of difficulties with them walking, people have, you know, put slings on and, yep. you know, have expressed bladders. And sorry about being graphic, but we've all done it. We've, yep. we've all done whatever the vet told us to do, you know, mm-hmm. to have a day or two. Um, I remember I had a dachshund who I loved to pieces and uh, Gabriel, big winning champion. I won an award of merit at Westminster, owner handled with my dachshund. 
Gabriel. Um, and he was just not right. You know how people bring the dogs in and they say, oh, not right. And the dog sitting next to me was suffering with cancer. And I was giving the guys so many, um, so much empathy and, and emotional support. Uh, they take a picture of Gabriel's chest and he's riddled. Yeah. And I went, oh my goodness gracious. And so I said to my vet, well, I'm taking him home. He's going to have the best steak dinner known to man. And I'll see you tonight. Because for me, when, when my dogs have that and they're struggling to breathe, yeah. I sort of put my, myself in their paws. Yeah. And I don't want to not be able to breathe. That has got to okay. suck. No, that, okay, that does suck. So, so there's many different you know, type of diseases that will bring on death. To me, any, any difficulty in breathing is the number one worst thing. So whether it's heart failure, cancer in your lungs, um, laryngeal paralysis, which is a big thing, that to me is the worst way to go for a pet. You know, long chronic disease, it's almost like how will, sometimes you're like, man, they're still going with kidney failure. It's, it's two years later, but <laughs> they're yeah. still going. But, um, but that, that respiratory distress, and you, and you said something that's very important, is that you watch them struggle, struggle, you said, which is so, it's so important because we may see that. And, and when, when owners are deciding for this and, and they say, well, he's not so bad yet, so I don't know. And I call him my weeble Or he ate dinner. Yeah, he ate dinner. So why is he? It's a litmus test. If they stop eating, they're ready to die. Well, dachshunds never stop eating. I just need to tell you that. Yeah. Oh, dachshunds, labs, beagles, <laughs> right? Now, uh, you know, it, <laughs> and depending on the disease they have, right? So if they've got arthritis, that Labrador with bad hips, he's going to eat the day the day he goes to, you know, Rainbow Bridge. So, so when owners, though, come to me and they're like, but I don't know. And I call them the weeble wobble. Like, I don't know if it's not so bad. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad that this is not the black and white answer for you. Because what this tells me is that your pet is struggling and you're making this decision so they don't suffer. And you sometimes have to make that decision when they do have good days and they are eating their meals. Because what the alternative is that we wait until they don't. And we wait until they have really five crappy days in a row. And then I feel guilty. But with that being said, it still sucks. This decision This decision sucks. sucks on so many levels. <laughs> so, so another story, which is really poignant, it was, and I might cry, so I'll warn you on that. Okay. Now. So I had a young dog. In fact, these two puppies that I just had were a result of us breeding um, a line bred bitch um, to have these puppies to try to get another one. But of course we got two girls and it was supposed to be a boy, but I digress. So anyway, this dog developed hemangiosarcoma um, okay. in, his, mm-hmm. in his abdomen. Okay. And we removed three tumors, right? Um, and we went to a holistic vet and he got a great life. But my co-owner who he lived with uh, was adamant, and so was I, uh, that he would live every day to the fullest. And the minute he gave us an indication that he was not feeling well, because the the um, tumors came back and there was you know maybe um, walnut size the first time, um, apricot size the second time, and then orange mm. size the third time and and that was it. We were never gonna and he bounced back from the surgeries. If he had never bounced back from the first surgery, we never would have done the second and vice versa. And his bloods yep. were good, everything was good, and he was running around. He didn't know he was sick. Um, and my co-owner said to me, the day he shows me or he indicates to me that he knows he's sick is the day I'm letting him go. So he woke up on a Monday and she said, he's struggling. He just looks like he's out of sorts. And he was a big hunter, Mary. He hunted mm. and pointed pheasant and did all of that. So um, 
I don't think he was in any jeopardy of bursting and dying in the field, uh, but she definitely took him out. He pointed three or four birds on a long line, so he wasn't running, well, first of all, he wouldn't run hilly and nilly. He was very well trained. Um, And she went through McDonald's and got him his cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she went to the vet and let him go on the best day of his life. And I think we can give them that. It'll never not be the hardest day of our life. Right. But it'll if you can let them go on the best day of their life with, the best, you know, best treats, best this, best that with someone like people from Lap of Love who are supporting you and and helping you know when that day is. Yeah. You know, I always say we suffer so they don't. And, you know, I, I, I have been through so many experiences where where it's. Um, you know, the family calls me because they they just recently got diagnosis of you know osteosarcoma, and they don't want they don't even ever want their pet to have a painful day, and and I will support their decision because I know that they will. Would I do that? Doesn't matter, right? Doesn't doesn't matter. It's what it's what they want, and I've gotten some some veterinarians will get a little upset at me because they're like, what? But he's got you know a good month left before it starts getting bad, and I'm like you know what, it, it, it's okay. And, and it's, um, it's, been, it's been amazing to see so many different phases. And at the same time, I've, I've helped some families where a lot of people, their friends might say, why are you waiting so long? Your pet is, is like almost, you know, recumbent, like they can't even move. And I know how hard it is. Like, was that the last living link to their child that died earlier from- Or their you know, husband or their mother? 100%. That dog helped them get through, you know, uh, a divorce, a bankruptcy, a graduate, whatever it may be. Like, I don't know, right? Help me get through med school. Help me get through law school, whatever it was, right? Whatever it is. So, so, but, and then I, and then I, I still respect their, like, man, they love that dog. Like, that's all I know is they love it. And we've all been on Denial Island. I've been the president of it myself, right? I'm vice president right behind you. (laughs) So we're all there, right? We can swap. Um, so no judgment. And that's where at Lap of Love, it's so nice to be able to, to help families in their home. I've helped families on a boat, under pianos, under pool tables, and wherever the pet wants to be. And that really does bring some um, relief and some, uh, you know, joy, if you will, to say, hey, you know what? I never had to bring him for a last bad ride. Um, I have also euthanized in the car uh, because that's their favorite place. And I'm yeah. like, well, if your dog loves the car, well, let's go, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and so um, Lap of Love is probably the best all-in system if you can find someone in your area, which you told me there are people all over the country who have taken your training. So they yeah. are um, trained to be empathetic, to be watchful, uh, to be mindful of both the yeah. pet's needs and the people's needs um, and really help the people transition to the transition. Yeah. You know, no, that's a good point because it is not just with the pet. It's, it's, um, you know, just because the pet may pass doesn't mean that that animal human bond is, is broken, right? It's, it's almost stronger. And how can we support that family? How do we make sure we don't make them feel guilty? How, you know, what can we do to, to help them honor their pet as best as possible? Whether it's, I, you know, some people have given me a hard time, like, oh, all you do is, you know, euthanasia, you're wasting your vet degree. And I'm like, first of all, oh my God. Yeah, they've said it, but that's okay. But I'm like, you know what, sometimes I have to explain diseases or or the aging process to owners. So that way they 
understand they're making a good decision if that if you could say it's a good decision, but they're you know they well, may not they may ask what hemangiosarcoma is yeah. and I talk about it and say hey listen nothing you could do will will except for helping them now will you know will will bring them back. So, so it's, uh, you know, we help the children. If the children are, I love children being present, even though, like I said, I don't have any of my own. They're amazing to be present. Um, I, I think it's the, it's the ability to, to show them the love. Yeah. Show the family the love they have for the pet and really accentuate that love. Because I, it's funny, you talked about osteosarcoma because I lost a girl talk about Denial Island. I was the chief um, executive officer in everything because my beautiful Irish setter uh, had a little bit hitch in her giddy up, but she was nine. So who doesn't have it? I have a hitch in my giddy up, right? So so I didn't think anything of it. And she got up to answer the door uh, for the Chinese food guy and slipped on the wood floor and broke her femur. Now, I have to tell you that in Irish setters, osteosarcoma is prevalent. It is. It's prevalent. My, I call them my guardian angel virtual assistants, my gavas. They absolutely put a sheet over my brain. I would not, I did not even think when she fell and she cried and clearly she hurt her thigh. I just so focused on um, cruciates. Mm. She blew a cruciate. That's what she did. She blew a cruciate. Now, clearly I know anatomy and I knew it wasn't a cruciate, but that sheet came over my brain. Um, and so did I rush her to the vet? No, because it was like late at night and I just wanted to make sure she got to the animal medical center. And I didn't want her to go in as an emergency with some, I had my own stupid reasons, but that's the Gavas again, talking in my brain. Um, and so she slept with me and I hugged and kissed her the whole night through. And we should have known something was wrong because she never got along with her sister. And that time her sister didn't bite her. So we were like, wow, maybe they're getting old enough. No, probably Deirdre knew that Daisy was dying and we didn't know. Um, and so I took her to the animal medical center and they diagnosed her and, um, I left her overnight, which was, you know, I think the worst of days for me and the best of days for me. Um, I knew she was getting pain management. That was the best of days. Those fentanyl patches, if we could put them on ourselves, we would be happy to do, but I digress. Um, But uh, I told the vet who was the surgeon, because everybody, as you said, you know, everybody tells you, you can do this. You can have another year, maybe more, you know? And I'm I'm like, yeah, okay, I could. uh, She has to wake up. She has to learn how to walk on three legs and I don't talk dog. So I can't tell her, by the way, I did this so that I could have another year with you. Maybe everything worked out great because her lungs were clear and stuff. Um, So I told the surgeon um, that I needed to go to church first and I would call him at 11 o'clock. So I called him at 11 o'clock. He was doing surgery at noon. So it wasn't like he was waiting for me. And I said, I'm coming to get her. Um, And he met me and he must have gone to um, the Mary and Danny school of discussions with uh, your client because he said to me, you know, Mrs. Hamilton, the daisy you brought in is the daisy you're going to take out now with you. He said, had you had this surgery, she would have been a different daisy. She wouldn't have been that daisy. She would have been a different daisy. He goes, so I appreciate that you want to remember daisy and keep daisy intact. The daisy you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so non-guilt, non-accusatory, you know, non, I mean, I thought it was great. I thought yeah. it was wonderful. So to speak about bringing her home to my vet and we were sitting having a pot of tea and she's on a puppy cup with the fentanyl patch. Um, and we're about a half hour into our cups of tea um, and crying. 
And Daisy gets up. That was her name. Daisy got up, went over to the sunny window. So you talked about, do they like the car? Do they like this? She went over to the sun in the window and she looked at us as much as to say, listen, you two fat old biddies, um, it's time. Let's go get this show on the road. And uh, my vet, Ren Willeman, said to me, I have never been told so completely by a dog that they're ready. <laughs> and I'm sure you've experienced that where yeah, the dog I let you know. So I think sometimes they can, you know, I think, I think um, when you're very in tune with your pet and, and like you said, what, you know, what makes them them. And, and I knew like, uh, you know, sometimes I, you know, I, you know, we don't totally know about things. Right. But I, I do know that sometimes some, some families or some owners are blinded with grief that they may not see it or or whether or not they think their pets, t- they don't see how bad it could be. And that's why sometimes doing like quality of life scales that we have together and with them. Like, so I'll always get, I'll get the, I'll get this question when I lecture, because I lecture to veterinarians and I'll get two types of questions. The number one is, have you ever, you know, what about euthanasia that you don't want to do? So that, that's, the, I, we all get that. Okay. Yeah. But the bigger question I get is, what do you do with the families that just don't want to say goodbye, but you know, it's the best thing for the pet, right? And so I have like a whole 10 point thing to go over with them. But a lot of times we, we need that because we don't, because we just don't see it. And, and it's, yeah, it's a gentle, it's a gentle guidance. It's a gentle yeah. guide um, because there are so many nuances that you have to take into consideration. Are they in pain and they're stoic? Right. Um, are they, you know, are, are, is it getting to be too much? You said at the beginning that um, the caregiver burden is sometimes so incredible, and yet the guilt of feeling caregiver burden is so incredible. Right, right. And then if you euthanize because that's what's doing it, then you feel guilt after that. Oh, they could have had another few days or whatever. And and you know, it's it can it can mess you up in your mind a little bit. And and that's okay. Like don't like don't feel weird that like I'm feeling. Or, or after you euthanize your pet and then you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have to wake up tomorrow to, you know, at 2 a.m. Like, so you'll have a double-edged sword though, because at 2 right. a.m. you're going to wake up. You're going to wake up. And, and you're going to cry. And then right. you're going to say, yes, but she's not suffering next to me. Yep. Like, and that's, so I always say you're, uh, believe it or not, you're going to, it's, it's, uh, you're going to feel a sense of relief right after You've got this anticipatory grief and it's a massive amount. And then, and then you euthanize and it's massive sorrow, like a spike of massive sorrow. Then there's this weird relief that will come over you because you know that they're okay. And, and I hate to use this um, metaphor or whatever this is called, but it's a good example. It's sort of like when, you, when you're nauseous and you want to throw up and yeah. you, you are feeling so sick and the anxiety to know that you have, because none of us want to ever I'll throw up. Yeah, and I don't. I will. I will suffer those three days. Yes, but once you throw up, like you're like, feel oh, so much better. Feel so much better. So like, and sometimes I'll say that to some parents, and they can get it. And some people are like, "What? It's blasphemy that you would ever relate the two. But it's helpful for some families to know that you will feel some relief because you know that they're that they're um, that they're not suffering. And 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 like I said, we we suffer, so they don't. And um, as long as we can make it as good as we can, that's what we try to do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've, we've punctuated this 
interview on Why Do Pets Matter um, with a little humor. And I hope that people who are totally dedicated to their pets don't feel, oh my God, this is, you know, they're not being reverent. Because I know from what you've explained that you are there every minute of um, toward the end, uh, both in the hospice care and the people you train, um, you all have certain things that everybody does to Mm -hmm. really ease the pain. And though we might be um, a little uh, flippant now it's simply because this isn't an easy thing to talk about um, right. in the gloom and doom. It is right. really something that we need to make you feel as if it is a gift, I think, that For you sure. can give yourself and you can give your pet. Yep. Yep. And we do. And we, you're right. It, we may be flippant and funny and silly, but you have to be, right? But <laughs> sometimes. Um, and, and when you've euthanized thousands of animals, some people think, oh, you're just, you know, you're so used to it. Never, never am I used to it. I, I know how to make sure that I, I center everything around the calmness and the comfort of that pet and that family. And I am present, like you said earlier, for every single euthanasia. I, I have thousands of stories. I, you know, so, um, what I'm, what, what I'm, what I get used to is my process. Like I know medically what I have to do. Emotionally, every single new family is a new family. Every single pet that I get kissed on the face, you know, in a tail wag when I walk in, or a little, you know, a little sass from a cat. <laughs> yep, I, I appreciate, and uh, and all of our veterinarians around the country can can uh, you know appreciate that, and uh, we love what we do. I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine doing anything else in veterinary medicine now. No, I, you know, and and I'm so grateful that you and uh, Danny are doing this, lapoflove.com, correct? So that people can find a veterinarian who um, focuses on this because every veterinarian can do this, absolutely. But what Lap of Love gives to the pet owner is the experience of um, empathy and the experience, not that your vet wouldn't, everybody's vet gives them empathy when they are end of life. But this is the built into the DNA of the vets who go through your program. Correct. And it right, they come to this with the calling that um, that we all as veterinarians, we all have to euthanize animals. But but to just focus on this, it's like a, you know, I don't want to con- say I'm like cardiologist or, or something as amazing as them, but this is what I I, I focus on, I, I, we just spend so much dedicated time to it. And we, you know, in a weird way, I don't want to say I enjoy it. I enjoy making the, the goodbye good. Like I, I find satisfaction in saying, oh my gosh, I got the best hug today. Yeah. And I, I, I relieved some, some regret, you know, some grief and, and everything. And so, um, and it's just all ingrained in, in us that, that we're, it's not, it's not for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> No, you've, but, taken this, uh, but, you've taken this step in this process um, so that you can help people uh, in, a, in a very focused way um, transition themselves to knowing they have to let their pet go or to you know, helping them let their pet go. Uh, but for me, that must be um, in need of self-care by the veterinarians who work with you. Mm. Yeah, you know, a lot of people wonder if we have compassion fatigue, which is a big problem in veterinary medicine. But um, our our vets don't uh, because we see that they're that this pet is suffering. We we see active suffering. Um, I would probably have more. I'd I'd have more issues working in a slaughterhouse where these are healthy animals, healthy animals that are being euthanized. Right. So right, you like, you are transitioning at the end. 
we are at the end. So it's like a hospice nurse, you know, it's, it's, it's such a different, it's a different thing. One of our, this is interesting that we could uh, uh, um, just end that conversation of the compassion fatigue is that one of our veterinarians said that she normally doesn't get compassion fatigue, but right now she does a little bit because she can't get hugs from people. Right. And so she can't see their faces either if they're wearing masks. And she's like, I can't see that they're, you know, just a baby, even if they're crying, she's a part, it's like, it's so weird right now not to see faces and not to get hugs. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting. We'll end on that COVID point because a lot of veterinarians now are taking the pets from the people. So we had a woman who's a vet tech in Kansas who had to take a 12 year old dog from his 12 year old owner. Yeah. Oh. And and she she said she was sobbing hysterically because she was trying to make sure the pet knew it was loved. That's all she wanted was the pet to know it was loved. But in this time, you know, some veterinarians are you know dropping at the door and you can't come in. Um, and and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, but if you can suit yourselves up and go in and allow them to be there for that last oh breath. God. If we could do it. And so both Danny and I, we train veterinarians on, on how to make it a little better. Or can we go out to the car? Like I said, I've gone to the car, like I'll dress up in a hazmat, I'll do it in the car, but we're not all trained to do it that way. So we are open and, and, and helping everybody through this. And we even had somebody drive two and a half hours to meet one of our vets in a park that was open because she didn't want it to, to not be present. And Absolutely. so- we're trying to do what we can. <laughs> Absolutely. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about again. Please think about coming on again because this is such an elegant to. topic. I would love to. <laughs> it's an elegant <laughs> topic that we've handled beautifully. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I mean, between COVID and the quality of life we talked about and the caregiver burden, um, you have really created a practice that helps people and their pets um, matter to each other. So I yeah. want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, well, thank you for having me and everybody listening. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. So this is Deborah Hamilton of Why Do Pets Matter? Please come back again for our next episode. And I want to thank Mary Gardner, Dr. Mary Gardner, and Dr. Danny McVetty as well of Lap of Love for opening this type of practice that really serves us in our deepest and darkest times of need. So thank you so much. Um, This is Deborah Hamilton. I always say Hamilton Law Mediation, which it is, but also Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast. Thanks for being here and see you at the next episode. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.